Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Energy Markets podcast. It is September 20th, and we have Brent crude oil trading down a percent in early trade in Asia this morning, uh, down at 93.42 after a similar correction downwards yesterday. Uh, it would appear uh, that the Fed meeting in Washington today and yesterday is making markets a little bit nervous. In some ways, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, the higher the oil price, the greater the likelihood of a Fed move because inflation goes up, I suppose. That's the logic. Let's welcome back to the table some of our, our three distinguished panelists. Uh, uh, Rachel Ziemba, founder of Ziemba Insights, adjunct fellow at the Center for a New American Security. Rachel, welcome your thoughts on is there anything the Fed can do, 25 basis points, maybe yes or no, that trumps what OPEC has uh, forecast, that 3 million barrel a day supply cut, nothing stopping this going to $100? Well, I mean, I think it's more a question of, of if and when. But look, if we look into the rest of the year, I mean, I, I'm watching the Fed. But I'm also we're still just on this issue of uh, strong strength of demand, particularly out of China. Right. I think we've seen a little bit of discounting of the fears, people sort of baking in there. Um, you know, so but I do think the degree of inventory drawdowns, the degree of supply cuts out of OPEC, um, you know, I think the direction of travel is still is, is still upwards. Um, but, you know, I think it, what we've seen here is just a, a, a pause along that way. But we're still back to this question of um, how much sort of oil comes offline, particularly out of Russia, how committed are they to those cuts? So far, they've been not as committed as the Gulf. Um, and I think the other thing that started to happen is maybe people are maybe starting to recognize that the sort of input of new oil from some of the other sanctioned countries, Iran and Venezuela, isn't maybe going to pick up in quite as large a, an extent. So, look, I mean, I think this is still an element of, uh, but this is still a story where if OPEC keeps with these cuts and Saudi Arabia has indicated they will, then the direction of travel is to, to this $100 mark. And I think we, we will start to worry about countries that have had their currencies weaken and suddenly are facing higher oil prices. What's that going to do to demand? What's that going to do to inflationary pressures? And, um, you know, I, I think this uh, makes 2024 forecasting more difficult for the OPEC countries. Dr. Aman Nasseri, Managing Director, Middle East for FGE Dubai. Dr. Aman, do you expect, after the hearing the Saudi minister earlier this week, doesn't seem to be any relenting there. These supply cuts announced, to the voluntary ones, as they call them, outside of the OPEC Plus agreement, the commitment there now to sustain them through to the end of the year. Are you seeing anything, any crack in that crystal that would indicate they're stepping back from that? Um, the the cuts uh, that they were, uh, the Saudis announced, uh, the extension of their voluntary cuts uh, in excess of the wider group voluntary cuts uh, that they announced in, in May, uh, I believe is um, uh, is hard to imagine uh, they 
pulling back from that. I think it's uh, um, even even in the face of OPEC's own forecast of a three million barrel a day deficit on that demand will trump supply in the fourth quarter. Even in the face of OPEC's own forecast, you wouldn't expect OPEC to step back from such a steep cut. Well, the thing is that that's OPEC, and this is um, uh, this is Saudi's. Although you'd imagine that Saudi is kind of driving the OPEC and and is a, one of the, if not the most influential, but one one of the strongest voices in OPEC. But uh, I believe that wasn't uh, kind of uh, so. Uh, surprising or unexpected for for the saudis uh, i i think there is a wider uh, agenda at play and uh, basically looking at, at at stocks and perhaps another factor that i can see uh, i mean I, I agree with rachel that uh, uh, the the, uh, the um, outright prices have some um, forces and pressures behind them towards the upside uh, there are certainly some uh, elements that could push the prices toward the upside but there is a downward pressure on the long dated brent uh, prices uh, at the end of the curve uh, as they have uh, significantly uh, disjointed from the opec uh, plus the spare capacity or opec spare capacity as historic uh, historical trends uh, show they have only been away from uh, each other in, in the long uh, long run for for maybe two months or, or six to eight weeks, uh, let's put it that way, and we're already passing that period. So there is a correction uh, coming at the end of the curve and uh, looking at the inventories and uh, the market structure, uh, we think there will be at some point awakening of the market and, and an adjustment of prices down. So that could have also been uh, uh, kind of uh, um, seen in, in the decision made by, by the Saudis. I, I don't know. I'm just speculating how and, and what. I don't think it was uh, Saudis necessarily were unaware of or, or thought that the market was uh, not going to be in deficit in, in 4Q. Uh, but I think that's part of the overall um, uh, assessment of uh, the market, including again, it's it's uh, the prices are comprised of the, the long term data price and the market structure, and I think there is uh, certainly a downward pressure on the long term, which could adjust prices uh, back down. But that three million, as it was mentioned earlier on the screen and and discussed a couple of times uh, on your podcast this week, is that part of the range? I know it's OPEC's own. Um, demand, but uh, we at FG think it's more closer to seven eight hundred KVD, which is between EIA and IEA. So again, the, the Saudis at least have always said that OPEC is a is an independent uh, market analysis, and every country has their own assessment of the market, which isn't necessarily in line with the group's assessment. Henning Gloystein, Director, Energy, Climate and Resources at the Eurasia Group. Uh, welcome back, Henning. We started the year with this dominant narrative that the OECD G7 were going into recession and that China was coming out of COVID. And in the second half of the year, China would save the world as the G7 go into the recession. Is that narrative now dead or has it just been postponed and could still surface in Q4, Q1? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you can see by those forecasts, they haven't. None of them have kind of quite happened as expected. Uh, the U.S. isn't in recession. Even the EU is kind of only teetering on it, but it's not, you know, really in a deep recession. 
and China's rebound really hasn't happened. Um, so it's disappointing. So it's all like a little bit different than anticipated. And that tells you how sort of, uh, uh, unsecure, how, how we, we look into 2024. We really don't know what's going to happen. And I think, um, yes, it is still a, a possibility that the US goes into recession. It is still a possibility that Europe either remains flatlining or goes into recession as well. And it is still possible that China either recovers or stalls further. So we don't, the problem is we really don't know. And that is reflected in the oil demand forecasts, which Rachel and uh, Iman have, have both kind of mentioned already. You know, you've got the, the IEA that forecasts 1 million barrels per day demand increase next year, the EIA 1.3 or 4, and then OPEC goes in with 2.2 million barrels per day. That is an enormous difference. And the, the, the reaction by OPEC and the Saudis to this will will be very, very different. If OPEC's forecast comes to pass 2.2 million barrels per day um, demand increase, which, by the way, we don't think will happen, but who knows, uh, then they can pump again. Uh, they, they'll have to pump again. And um, then we're really looking sort of at 100 million barrels per day. If EIA's 1.34 million barrels per day increase happens, then we're kind of in the situation that we're in now, sort of maybe, I don't know, $90, $95, tickling 100. Um, uh, but if the IEA's forecast of a million barrels per day forecast or a bit lower happens, then I think OPEC will be in a bit of a prickle uh, because there is other production coming online next year. And then they might have to continue cutting white through to the middle of next year. So basically, the, the disappointing answer is we, don't, we really don't know. And I think the Saudis are aware of this. And that's why they're not willing to change the, the course at this stage by, by just raising output into an insecure output because... They have had experience of doing that in the past, and uh, that causes real price crashes. Uh, but the answer is we don't really know what's going to happen at this stage, um, which makes things a bit complicated. Rachel, obviously, we do know that the uh, Fed has to continue uh, with its stated uh, mandate to bring inflation down to 2%. Why wouldn't uh what data point can we look at as to why the Fed would step back from that uh, objective and, and, and hence continue to raise rates? Sure. So the Fed has a dual mandate. Um, of course, both of those pieces are sort of probably pointing in almost the same direction now. The dual mandate is the, um, the full employment mandate, uh, as well as the sort of implicit target. Um, you know, look, I think the Fed is conscious of not wanting to overshoot, um, not wanting to lead sort of, you know, hike so much that they have to that they have to reverse. They also are concerned about financial stability sort of issues. I mean, we saw earlier this year um, sort of along the way to this sort of road um, that Henning was 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 highlighting um, the sort of impacts of some banks that had made. Um, quite poor decisions on managing their securities portfolios and what that did to, for example, the venture, the venture industry and, and the like. Um, you know, I think the Fed and other regulators have tried to make sure that others are not in, in the same boat and they've done an implicit guarantee of, you know, of, of bank deposits. But I think around the world and especially in the U.S., there is this question mark about banks and other institutions are holding securities on their balance sheet and they might not have hedged those um, fully 
BIS has some reporting, has some research out uh, earlier this week that starts to look at um, whether uh, banks in the emerging world could sort of hedge those risks better. I don't think there's a major financial stability risk in the emerging world from their U.S. Treasury securities right now. Um, but I do think that that other element of financial security also, stability also in the Fed sort of boat. So I, I don't think that they're necessarily going to pull back, but I think we're in this phase where the big hikes are behind us, right? They're likely to be more, and with oil prices being where they are, um, that that increases that. Um, but you know, I think this this sort of question mark is really on on the employment side. We saw Janet Yellen yesterday highlighting that you know sort of the strength of the U.S. labor market, and so I think U.S. policymakers recognize that there is a bit more uh, tight, tightening ahead, uh, balancing all, all these issues. I think the piece maybe that we a number of market actors underestimated was the degree to which the sort of fiscal policy in the U.S., the industrial policy in the U.S. would support manufacturing, maybe not quite as strong as the Biden administration would hope, and there's some uh, labor shortages and other issues, um, but that fiscal policy piece is a different one sort of in this cycle, and some of it is geared towards the long term, um, and, and that's something that has made, I think, the U.S. skirt recession for now. We'll see if um, we'll see if it continues to skirt. Um, but you know, this is this is a different. Um, you know, this is uh, this is uh, this is a, a difficult uh, tapering sort of process, shall we say, for the Fed. Iman, the the we've seen uh, in recent days uh, announcements for curtailing of exports of of products and diesel in particular. Russia indicating some uh, heavy taxes now to curtail the export of diesel. China pulling back from its export quotas uh, going forward. Where does this uh, uh, sort of obviously crude story has been grabbing all the headlines, but meanwhile, diesel has been soaring up on the inside lane. If, where's the outlook for diesel and its impact uh, for adjusting and impacting monetary policy? Yeah. Uh, diesel has certainly had its own interesting uh, ride and roller coaster over the past two years, uh, significantly up and then dropped uh, uh, to uh, low uh, tens or, or teens, and then now back up uh, to thirty and forty dollar in Asia and, and Europe. Um, I think as we get uh, closer and closer to to the winter, which is the picking uh, kind of demand and, and import requirement of, of Europe, and uh, this year uh, being the first uh, year that uh, Europe is going to experience lack of Russian barrels in its market, as last year basically they still could uh, import and, and build a significant amount of inventory from Russian uh, barrels up until February. Uh, this year is going to to the first that they are going they're going to test it, and uh, I think uh, Russia's maintenance uh, season um, and uh, basically the fuel shortages that they have had uh, inside has been uh, driving them towards uh, 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 regulating the exports uh, through some um, 
tax policy and uh, basically they're trying to kind of regulate the market but i can't uh, exclude the uh, possibility of them also trying to uh, basically um, uh, test their power or, or uh, and be, put another extra push on, on, on europe by basically cutting the external supply or export supply uh, down uh, on purpose to basically uh, also push back or, or respond to the pressures put on them by uh, by uh, West uh, through different mechanisms. But obviously, China has uh, the power to uh, play, take a, a big uh, role in, in that by um, uh, through their incremental exports. I think the export quotas that were given uh, did a little bit of uh, easing in terms of pressure for, for uh, cracks in uh, diesel cracks in, in Asia. There is a still some ambiguity and, and expectation that there may be some flexibility in uh, swapping uh, fuel uh, quotas, fuel oil export quotas with uh, with gas or diesel, uh, and that could uh, take another pressure off. But I want to emphasize that uh, one uh, element that the market is right now looking at, and we're as we speak, we're uh, finalizing a note to send out to our clients, is the role of Middle East here uh, to help Europe this winter. And uh, we know that uh, the market expects incremental volumes from uh, Kuwait, from Alzures, which is up, up, ramping up their supply. Dukum is uh, is uh, testing and, and about to join the market and has uh, some more uh, diesel supply coming out. Uh, there are definitely some concerns about the Saudi also maintenance in, in October, November, December uh, for some of the refineries that have high uh, diesel yield and usually and historically been exporting volumes to uh, to uh, Europe. But I believe that could uh, be partially, if not fully offset by the impact from the, the new uh, volume. So uh, I think the, we will see Europe still elevated uh, the prices, but we may see some uh, again another downside on 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 the uh, Asian cracks uh, as the market uh, kind of adjusts to, to uh, the impact of Russian or clarity about uh, how the new policies will impact the Russian supply and Russian uh, refineries eventually coming uh, back to uh, to the market the supply from the maintenance as well as. Uh, Again, more uh, understanding of the Middle Eastern uh, volumes, uh, filling uh, some of the gaps in, in Europe. Henning, on that point, I mean, the, the sanctions now seem to be uh, 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 the price cap. Uh, we see the Iranians pretty much pumping as much or, and exporting as much as they can. The, the Russians getting all of the oil they want to market. Uh, where are sanctions? Where are the price cap? Where are any of these as relevant to the market at this time? Well, so uh, I mean, on on Russia, the, the the main argument from the Western point of view was to try and cap the price without disrupt the global market. One can argue how well that's uh, worked, but uh, for sure um, that 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 was the idea. So the Iran sanctions is a bit of a different beast, I think, because. Um, uh, when this uh, uh, crisis started, um, it became apparent that you can't sanction, uh, you know, so many oil producers in the world. This is particularly from the U.S. point of view. You can't sort of stop importing from Russia, sanction Iranian oil, and then Venezuela on top of that as well. So I think there was a bit of a diplomatic drive to try and find solutions elsewhere, which I believe is ongoing with Iran. But, um, you know, it's, it's still stuck. Uh, but it, it probably means that there's a bit of a blind eye to a big turn to, to Iranian supply, especially to Asia. Um, now, uh, as with, with, with regards to Russia, 
very difficult to understand from the outside of what's going on in there. Um, but uh, it's worth keeping in mind as we are heading into the next winter, Russia still does have a few cards to play if it wants to. We've already heard on the, uh, the diesel side, that's actually where it hurts most, where heating oil is an important fuel. Diesel itself is an important fuel, especially in Europe. Um, and, um, and of course, the Russians are still sending liquefied natural gas LNG uh, to Europe, um, not state controlled. It's via Novatech. But, um, you know, I, I suspect that if, if Russia wanted to, to sting Europe in this winter, this is where it could. On the other hand, of course, next year, if the Europeans come through the second winter without, uh, with the loss of most of Russian natural gas, and they realize that they're still, um, that they can probably get through this uh, third winter in a row, um, uh, in 23, 24, that they might actually target Russian LNG imports as well. So there's still a lot of, you know, we, we haven't seen all through the, the sanctions embargo capping game yet. Um, and that's a problematic situation. As, as, long as, as long as this war in Ukraine goes on, there will be um, a fallout in the energy sector, which will be felt not just in Europe, um, but around the world. Let's go to the uh, survey question. We're sort of addressing some of the themes earlier. Uh, nothing the Fed does on raising or not raising rates 25 basis points can trump a two to three million barrel a day oil supply deficit in Q4, propelling Brent to $100 a barrel. Agree or disagree with this statement that the Fed, while headline grabbing, it, it cannot uh, trump this massive, uh, at least forecast deficit, uh, depending which of the different agencies you want to follow. But OPEC themselves have said three, IEA have said one and a half, um, FGE are now saying seven or 800. Uh, uh, where uh, do you see this deficit? Um, and does the Fed have any power to trump that? Uh, uh, agree or disagree with that statement. Rachel, of course, the other sort of big news uh, that all of this triggers or is the uh, elevated gasoline prices in the United States. The price at the pump, as they say, uh, for this time of year is, uh, is at very high levels. Uh, and so the trajectory of what it tells us going forward that they could go even higher how does that play out? Is there anything that can stop that continue to rise and the politics involved last year or the year before was last year? We saw the administration sort of release from SPR in order to try and uh, impact the, the elevated prices. Successfully, they did, whether they played a role or not. But where do you see it going this season? Yeah, and, and I would say arguably the sort of political sensitivity around the gasoline prices is maybe even greater than the, the direct impact um, of rising sort of gas and fuel prices on the inflationary pressures, right? The sort of Biden administration sensitivity is perhaps even greater than, than the Fed's um, and, and the like. Um, you know, I think the direction of travel just catching up to where oil crude prices have gone and these stories more globally in the product markets are that it's going, it's, it's going upwards. Um, you know, we could see levels where the administration uses the SPR again. Um, this is probably where it's unfortunate they didn't um, get their act together to figure out how to refill earlier in the year. And I know on this podcast, we, we, we talked about that. Um, you know, in, 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 in that sort of context. Um, look, I think a lot of it really does depend on how all these supply demand factors were sort of talking about, you know, play out, how the sort of continued um, hurricane season, if that leads to sort of any shortages in the Gulf, you know, sort of off the Gulf Coast. I mean, those are sort of localized stories, um, but the direction of travel here. Um, and I think, 
putting things that, that Iman and, and Henning have said together, I think this sort of dynamic of the, the, the sanctions, the, pri the leaky price cap, we're still in an environment where the sort of shipping time, shipping costs, other sort of frictions in the market, fuel is going a farther distance in, 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 in general. And I think that only adds to the, the price to the end user. Um, and that's a story not only sort of in the US, uh, which of course does lots of, you know, does do some refining at home, um, but I think that's a global consumer challenge. And it's particularly challenging in places where the currencies have been weakening against the dollar. So they face both a higher oil price and, and the purchasing power story. And we're gonna be seeing the demand signs from that, uh, I think as we head into next year. Dr. Oman, last winter, we saw the, the sort of uh, uh, competition for gas and, and, and oil and, and, and the idea that uh, the elevated gas price uh, was, you know, had, had its impact on, 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 on pulling away from the uh, heating fuel and, and the crossover of the two over the last two winters. We're seeing now, as we go into this winter, the LNG price now elevated into the teens already, high for this time of year. Where's your outlook for LNG and, and for the possible crossover as oil and diesel remains quite high? Um, I want to uh, keep my answer to this question brief and, and make a couple of comments regarding a, a lead that we had uh, here. I believe this winter will be different from last winter as the extent of uh, LNG prices and gas prices uh, are not as high as last year, but rather we not have yet. diesel. Not yet, but we have the diesel prices very high. And so the, the switching uh, economics is not uh, there uh, and certainly not as favorable if you look at the, the high gas prices and compare it with, with the diesel is not there. Plus, we believe that the market almost exhausted all of its uh, uh, low-hanging fruits and, and easy solutions to, to switch uh, from gas to, to diesel and liquid fuels. If anything, we may, we may see some of that uh, to be reversed uh, where the supply is there. So that's my quick uh, answer to this question. One uh, uh, feedback and comment I wanted to add to my uh, answer regarding your question about the Saudi cuts is that uh, one consideration that could perhaps be taken into account in here is next year's uh, balances and basically the cuts requirement. If we assume that the Saudis will keep their 1 million barrels per day out of the market until December. I'd want to put it back in January. Our current balances, very kind of uh, gloomy demand uh, picture next year, which is 1.4 million barrels per day year-on-year -year growth versus 2.4 this year in our books, basically. Um, and China's, uh, uh, China's part in that 1.4 million is only 4 to 500 KBD. That uh, makes the, the situation for OPEC plus and Saudi very difficult. So if Saudis were to uh, unwind, uh, even at the end of December, that could uh, lead to a significant build uh, next year, especially during the first half. And hence our forecast is not only they will most likely keep it until the end of December, but also probably well into next year. And, and, uh, and uh, currently we have it, half of it at least retained during the first half and maybe the other half uh, kind of on one uh, or, or the, the, the second half on one second half. And that still leaves us with two to 300 KBD build across the next 
next year. So one bigger problem is uh, that it's not, it, it may not be as easy to keep uh, the, the basically switching on and off. And hence, they have decided that extending it because of the situation next year is, is going to be an easier um, digestion for the market as opposed to them putting it back in October and then pulling it out again in January. So yeah, that's... You would uh, think that's if, if, if they have held the cut through the, the sort of peak demand period for Asia in the fourth quarter, they're unlikely to bring oil back in the weak demand window of Q1. Of Q1, uh, exactly. Henning, uh, closing comments to you with the, with the survey result, uh, but the we the agree the Fed uh, raising rates can trump um, nothing the Fed does can trump. We'll post that on social. But Henning, I wanted to get your thoughts on where I mean, we talked about the the, the sort of uh, the price cap is slightly irrelevant these days. The the sanctions seem to be more about letting oil flow than stopping it. And and now we go into the second winter of the war in in Ukraine. Uh, we've got the Beijing, uh, Putin, and Xi announced to meet next month. Uh, it seems that relationship is getting deeper, and the war is becoming sort of background noise. Your thoughts on where we are going into the second winter of the war in Ukraine and the growing relationship with the Russians and uh, the Chinese? Well, it looks nasty. Um, the Ukrainian uh, counteroffensive over this spring and summer, it's made some advances, but not the, the advances that uh, Kyiv was hoping for. Russia has really got itself stuck. Uh, you know, they've defended uh, very, very successfully. That means now sort of the winter season comes. We, we saw the last year that there's much less movement. That doesn't mean less dying because they're still fighting very intensively, but there's less movement. The Russians seem to be getting some support, maybe even from North Korea now, after Putin met um, Kim Jong-un um, in Eastern Russia a few days ago. Uh, the, the Ukrainians are still getting support from, from the West, um, at least until next summer to the US elections. We'll see how what happens there. So sadly, this all points towards another winter of brutal, brutal fighting, um, which is terrible for, for the people in, in Ukraine. Um, and uh, there doesn't seem to be any realistic option for a credible form of a ceasefire at this stage, which is not nice. And we'll have to leave it there. Uh, the, the war goes on, as, uh, and as it goes on, it seems to increasingly have a little relevance to the oil markets uh, uh, or less uh, relevance uh, and, uh, and consequently oil prices uh, uh, not being part of a, a solution or a growing pressure to resolve this conflict. I'm sure China and India are in no hurry to stop enjoying discounted Russian oil, for example. Um, Let's uh, just acknowledge that Brent is again trading down this morning. WTI also down, holding just above $90 a barrel. Uh, we have a, a great interview just published, uh, halftime talk with Dave Ernsberger, head of market reporting and trading solutions at SP Global Commodity Insights, giving us his top takeaways from APEC and an update on the performance of the Brent benchmark uh, three months into welcoming uh, Midland uh, WTI into the basket there. So some useful insights for market actors to listen to that 20-minute interview. All the best. Thank you very much uh, and really appreciate it, Henning, uh, Rachel, and Aman for your insights today. All the best.